Hello, and welcome to the Letters from Our Fathers podcast, where we explore the actual history of America's founding fathers from their own written words and personal correspondence, but without modern partisan political ideologies. I am your host, Roman. Now let's learn some real history. Welcome back to this here show, everybody. This is the Letters from Our Founding Fathers podcast, as you heard in the introduction. We are here to deliver some real history to every participant of our study group, as I call it here on this uh, on this here show. This is the uh, podcast where TLDR does not apply, and the study of history is indeed a way of life. Welcome to it. And perhaps the study of history is not yet a way of life for you, if you're a new listener to the podcast, a new participant on the study group, as I like to say. But hopefully we will win you over, uh, and we will uh, we will uh, get you to be a student of history and all that comes with it. So on this episode, this is going to be another short episode. It took me a while to honestly figure out exactly what I was going to do on the next episode while, I, while I'm in between my uh, research for the letters and everything for the next episodes. I had put on the calendar a specific topic for this day. Uh, a while back, and I got to starting to record it, and then I was like, eh, I hate it. Uh, so I threw it in the trash can. I had to come up with something else, and it took me, uh, took me a little bit to figure that out. I thought I would mix it up a little bit and give you kind of some, some, some we're going to talk a lot about the Constitution and the structure of the United States government. Obviously, when we get to that particular period in time, uh, after the war is over, Articles of Confederation, eventually Constitution, so on and so forth, we will get to all that. But I thought I would front load a little bit of that on this episode here. That way, we're not just talking about 1774 to 75. We've done a little bit of that by talking about the Bill of Rights. Uh, but I also wanted to dive into the uh, another part of the Constitution and talk about it as a, an educational exercise and a good discussion, I think, that needs to be had uh, in society generally. And some people get this. I've heard some people say it right, and I've heard a lot of people say it wrong. There's this concept that you'll hear called uh, uh, three co-equal branches of government in the United States of America. Co-equal branches of government. Has anybody out there heard of that before? I know a lot of us have heard of the three branches of government, but have you ever heard of it referred to as co-equal branches of government? And why in the world do people call it co-equal branches of government? To be brutally honest with you, I don't really know. Uh, I have some theories. Honestly, I think it's I think it's part of the American obsession the last 40 or 50 years or so with this concept of equality. Everything has to be equal. Everything has to be perfectly balanced. Everything has to, you know, balance out on the scale of weights and measures exactly perfect. Otherwise, something in the universe is not working and Western civilization will collapse. The sky will fall. The universe will explode. The space-time continuum is going to implode. Of course, all of that, none of that is true. It's it's all just a bunch of crap. Um, for those of you listening in other countries, you might have noticed this obsession in the United States with equality. Everything has to be equal and balanced and perfect, and, and it's just, it's an insane uh, goal, to say the least. Uh, you're never going to get everything to be equal. And the branches of government in the United States, neither are they equal. We have three branches for those those folks uh, both in the United States and outside the United States who might not uh, be aware of that. We have, because this, this is a podcast for all ages. There's a reason why this is a family-friendly podcast. Some people might think I'm talking down to them at this point. I'm not. I'm just, this is just a podcast for all ages. Uh, well, I, I would say anybody middle school age and up, or maybe late elementary school, roughly fifth, sixth grade, that kind of thing. But the three branches of government 
government are the executive, the legislative, and the judicial. Uh, a lot of us know that. Some of us don't. So I thought I would mention that briefly. The executive, just think of that as the president of the United States. I often refer to it as the central power because uh, that's what it is effectively in the United States. Then there's the legislative branch, which it would you think of Congress when you think of that. Every time I mention 535 uh, deliberate idiots, that's that's who I'm talking about. I'm talking about the United States Congress or the legislative branch uh, of government. The um, Then there's the judiciary, uh, which would be, think Supreme Court, uh, very popular or unpopular, depending on uh, your perspective, I guess. And and I'll, frankly speaking, I'm not a big fan of the Supreme Court, generally speaking. And I'm not talking about the recent cases that have come down. I'm not even going to get into all that for any number of really good reasons. We don't do modern political on this podcast for a reason. I'm not trying to be partisan or anything of the sort. But um, not 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 counting the modern cases that have come or the recent cases that have come down in the court that are very controversial to, to some people. Um, I, I generally speaking, I'm not a huge fan of the the judiciary in this country. I think it's probably the least well-conceived branch of government that the Founding Fathers came up with. I don't know that the Founding Fathers, frankly, knew what the heck it was that they were doing when they formed up the judiciary. I think I think in some regard, they didn't know what to do. They knew that they needed a third branch of government. They knew that they needed courts. So they just kind of hodgepodged this judiciary, this third branch of government together and called it a day. I think it was ill-conceived. I think it was, generally speaking, a really bad idea. Uh, this is going to be one of those longer discussions that I have later on in the podcast uh, when we get to the Constitution. I will talk more at length about exactly why it is that I think it was a bad idea, but I thought I would do a little foreshadowing, a little uh, preview of what we're going to talk about much, much later in the in the podcast. This is going to be probably a couple of years from now by the time I actually get around to talking about that, uh, about the Constitution at length. I know, something to look forward to, right? But So those are our three branches, and the question is, are they co-equal? Are they all equal branches of government? And I would contend that they are absolutely not. And anybody who thinks they are is probably just misguided. I don't think they're morons by any stretch of the imagination. You you can be an intelligent human being and be misguided about the Constitution. And those people would say that I'm misguided. But they're going to have a hard time arguing with me by the time this podcast episode is over. because And, it, and it's really easy to figure out that they're not co-equal branches of government. And I'll tell you how I dissect that just on the simplified basis. I'm not going to get into a long, complicated discussion about this, but I will talk about it on a simple level. The President of the United States, the executive branch, was always intended to be very very limited. The The executive branch was not intended to be able to pass laws by themselves. Uh, laws are strictly relegated to the legislative branch of government, right? So the president of the United States can't pass laws by himself, can't sign laws into, into, into uh, actual U.S. code, uh, U.S. law, effectively. Now, that's the way it's supposed to be. Now, we in the United States have gotten away from this because, like I've said before, there is always in every society that has ever existed a desire for tyranny. And I'm not necessarily saying that the president, the, let me rephrase, the office of the president, because I don't want somebody to think I'm talking about the current president of the United States. I'm not. I'm talking about the office of the president. I'm not saying that the office of the president of the United States is tyrannical. But there are themes within the, the executive branch of the United States that are, in fact, tyrannical. 
Oh my gosh, Roman, how dare you say that? How dare you say that there are themes within the executive branch sacred hollow halls of the White House that are tyrannical? Well, you know what? It's just, I'm, I'm not going to sugarcoat things on this podcast. I don't do that. This isn't the fake history podcast, and this isn't the, the false misrepresentations of government podcast. This is just reality. And some of this is my opinion, and some of it is not. Uh, but And what's not my opinion is that the executive branch is not supposed to enact laws by itself. That's fact. 100% fact. Any any student of the Constitution would tell you that. My opinion is, is that that has been violated in, very, in various ways. Not completely, not entirely, not 100%, but it has been violated. Because, you know, over time, every Constitution gets kind of watered down, whittled away. The sharp edges of the Constitution kind of get rounded off, and then things kind of get muddled around, and procedures and rules and regulations don't exactly get followed exactly like they were 200-some years ago. And then we arrive at 2022 when the Constitution is not exactly being adhered to 100%. And honestly, it never has been. The Constitution has been violated in various ways since the beginning. Not, not exactly on day one. But going back to the the early 1800s, certainly you could string together a logical argument for that. Uh, not that not that it's been completely undermined, but just little things here and there. And the executive branches want to do that because if because here's the problem: eventually, the executive branch gets frustrated that Congress is not passing the laws that the president or somebody in the executive branch wants to have passed. So they try to finagle a way to make it happen by themselves. And I understand the motivation for that, and sometimes it's good motivation, sometimes it's well-intentioned, I understand that, but it's still illegal as crap, and it's still criminal. And I, I mean every single word of that. When, when the executive branch tries to enact laws by itself, it's violating the Constitution, thus it's violating the law, thus it's a criminal act. I'm not going to, again, I'm not going to sugarcoat it. Some people don't like to hear this crap, but that's just the way that it is. I mean, if anybody else in society did something like that, a blatant violation of the law, doing something that they're not, that they're, that the law says strictly they're not supposed to do, we would call them what? A criminal, right? Okay. Same thing. So that's, you know, that's the executive branch. It's not supposed to be doing all that kind of stuff. I know that it does a little bit of that now, and I, I mention all of that so people don't get confused. When I say that the executive branch is not supposed to pass laws and all the rest of it, somebody out there is going to be like, now wait just a minute. I, I thought the executive branch could because the executive branch does this, that, and the other thing. Executive order, regulations, administrative, this, that, and the other thing. Yeah, I got that, but it's not supposed to be that way. Just understand that. For, just go back and read the Constitution. You'll figure it out. And then we have, you know... The, again, the limited name, and I've spoke to this before, the, you know, the executive branch was largely intended to be a check on the legislative branch. That's really its primary, domestically, that's its primary purpose. So that if the legislative passed some law that was clearly not either not constitutional or just insane, which sometimes the legislative branch does, the, the executive branch could veto it. That veto is very, very important. Very important. I can't stress that enough. And that is one of the primary purposes of the, of the President of the United States. And also to serve as Commander-in-Chief and, and have a national security focus outward towards America's enemies abroad to defend the country. That's th Those two things right there are probably, I don't know, I'm, I'm going to ballpark it and say 70% of the president's job. Now, it's not anymore. It's Nowadays, I would say, I'm again, I'm ballparking it. I'm just going to throw some numbers out there based on my wild guesses to the way things are now. I would say, you know, between the veto and keeping a check on the legislative branch and then the international focus, national security, commander-in-chief perspective, I'd say that's probably about 20 to 30 
30% of the president's perspective. The rest of it is completely extra-constitutional. Oh my gosh, Roman, what do you mean by that? What does that mean, extra-constitutional? Well, operating outside of the constraints of the Constitution, basically. I, I've mentioned that before. The executive branch is, is almost exclusively domestically focused today. And that's not the way it's supposed to be, I would contend. I mean, if I were president of the United States, that's the last thing in the world that I would do, is have a, have a almost 100% domestically focused administration. Because there are so many other things that are constantly nipping at the heels of the United States that are international that get ignored because the president is just too busy trying to micromanage this country. The president was never intended to micromanage the United States of America. It's not the way it's supposed to be. Now, some of you folks may be asking, what in the world is he micromanaging? Or she, if there's a female president of the United States. What in the world are they micromanaging? How, how dare you? How dare you say that the president of the United States is trying to micromanage the domestic part of the United States? Well, you want me to give you an example? Okay, I'll give you an example. Light bulbs. Now, why on earth the president of the United States has an opinion about what kind of light bulbs are actually used in this country is beyond me. Now, it's fine if he has a personal opinion about it, but why does he have a professional opinion about it? Why is the president of the United States trying to micromanage light bulbs? Now, somebody out there might be saying, he's not trying to micromanage light bulbs. How dare you say that? Oh my gosh, Roman, you're insane. Do you read the news? For those of you folks out there who doubt me. But yes, congratulations to everybody in the United States. You now live in a country where the president of the United States, who is really just supposed to be a check on the legislative branch of government, be the commander-in-chief, and just a couple of other things, is now micromanaging the kind of light bulbs that you have in that lamp that sits on your desk. How, how in the world did we get here? And that's just one thing, and there's 50,000 of those examples. There's not just one example, there's 50,000 of them. I would have to spend the rest of the year doing podcast episodes explaining all of the various ways that the executive branch of government micromanages the United States of America. And you wonder why certain things happen to this country national security-wise, and certain other things are currently happening to this country national security-wise that slip completely under the radar. I mean, how is it that a foreign country is able to sail a hypersonic ballistic missile that can carry a nuclear weapon around the United States, basically, without really anybody knowing it until it's all over? And I, I can feel it out there. Somebody's going to be like, oh my gosh, Roman, where do you get these examples? How dare you make this stuff up? I'm not making it up. I mean, if you keep your ear to the ground and you actually listen to what's going on in the world, you know exactly what I'm talking about. There's going to be a number of people in the uh, in, on the study group here on the podcast who go, I know exactly what he's talking about, right? Exactly. How does that happen? And the answer is light bulbs. That's how a country is able to sail a hypersonic nuclear-capable missile around the United States without anybody knowing about it until it's all over. Light bulbs. So, and I use those examples... I, I, like I said, I could keep doing this all day. This this podcast to be 10 hours long before I got sick and tired of actually doing it. I, I use those two examples really just to demonstrate to you, because somebody out there is going to challenge that and be like, you don't know what you're talking about, Roman. How dare you? How dare you impugn the integrity of the executive branch of government and say that they're paying attention to these meaningless little domestic issues trying to micromanage, blah, 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 blah. How dare you? It's just the truth. If the truth hurts, again, this is not the fake history podcast. It's just the real history podcast. If you, if you, if the real history, you know, offends you, go off and listen to a pop culture podcast. 
podcast. There's 50,000 of them or more. Just go listen to one of those. It's fine. Live in ignorance. And while the rest of us will be here on this podcast learning about things that actually happened in the real world during the time of the Founding Fathers. Uh, Now, those are two modern examples, obviously. But again, just to put it into context for you, I'm not trying to get super political here. I'm just trying to give you some examples. And by the way, the light bulb thing, that's a bipartisan thing. That goes back like... I can't remember when the light bulb thing actually started. I think it was 2004, roughly, maybe the first time the light bulb situation came up. I, I honestly can't remember. Now, the hypersonic thing is recent, uh, but that, that's just to put an exclamation mark on this, that there are serious national security threats that actually threaten the United States of America while we're paying attention to light bulbs and other stupid things. Believe me, there's more trivial, stupid crap out there besides light bulbs that we're dealing with, but... There you go. Anyways, so I say all of that to say the executive branch is not supposed to be micromanaging. That is to say, again, paying attention to light bulbs instead of paying attention to national security threats like the Constitution actually says. And there's a reason why the Constitution has a narrow focus for the executive branch of the United States. They're not supposed to be micromanaging the country because you can't micromanage a country from the central power. The Soviet Union tried it, and it didn't work. China tried it for a long time. It didn't work, so they changed how they do things. Because I know somebody's going to try that example. Well, Roman, what about the China model? The China model is pure as the driven snow, and it works, and it's awesome, and it's totally run by the Communist Party's central headquarters. No, it's not, actually. There is, like, what what do they call it? Capitalism with um, Chinese characteristics or communism with Chinese characteristics, I forget. It's not strictly command and control, commanding heights, central power, micromanaging. It's not that, exactly. It's definitely got some of those hallmarks. They definitely micromanage when they feel it necessary to do so. And they they still have that that god-awful command and control theme going on over there, which, by the way, is the reason why the Chinese economy is not bigger than it is. I want you to put this in perspective. The Chinese economy, I mean, it's 1.5, 1.6 billion people, which is several times the population of the United States, by the way. The population of the United States is roughly 330 million people. And China has, has received probably more financial investment from abroad than any other country in the history of the world. Now, I don't know those numbers exactly, but that's my opinion based on what I see. And it's still a smaller economy than the United States of America. How in the world is that possible? By any reasonable measure, by any reasonable expectation, I should say, the Chinese economy should be at least, at least double the size of the United States. If not triple, quadruple the size of the United States, but it's not. Now, why is that? Because it's, it's, it still retains part of that command and control crap economy. Even though they have, they have, they have gotten rid of a lot of that, which is the only reason why China has grown over the last 30 years. They still have a little bit of that going on. So thus the Chinese economy just can't quite get there. And the United States economy, likewise, has been slowed down a lot in the last 30 years because the United States is moving toward a command and control style economy. The central power is micromanaging more and more and more, and thus the United States economy is stifled. It's slowed quite a bit over the years. That's, again, that's that's not the purpose of the executive branch. So if you if you got this image in your head of the executive branch being, you know, command and control, quasi-legislative, you know, very regulatory, etc., you're right in, in the modern perspective. But again, keep in mind, that's not the way it's supposed to be, and that's not what we're talking about here. We're talking about strictly the way it's worded in the Constitution of the United States. And I'm telling you, 
most of the president's job is supposed to be just a check on the legislature and commander-in-chief, and that's it. A little bit more, yes, sure, there are domestic duties of the president, and he's supposed to keep an eye towards maintaining some harmony amongst the Union of States and a lot of other things. There's some other things that go along with that, so don't don't get me wrong. It's not just a check on the legislature and just commander-in-chief national security focus. There are some other things, but that is not at all supposed to be the primary focus of the central power in this country. Not even close. That's relegated to the states and to the legislatures of the several states and to the Congress. Okay, now that we've got that clear, what the executive branch is and what it isn't, and, you know, how confusing that can be in the modern time because the executive branch has decided to get off of its short leash. And this country, by the way, the United States would do well to put the executive branch back on the leash. Um... The, the, uh, we've let that dog run rampant around the front yard for a little bit too long now. It's time to put it back on the leash. But anyway, that's a, that's a story for another day. And again, that's a bipartisan statement. I'm not speaking about any one president here. That's, that's been the case for at least 80 years. 90 years, almost 100 years now. That's been the case. So this, this goes way back from before I was born. Now, the judicial branch of the United States is a fascinating one at that. So what is the job of the judicial branch? You know, let's let's focus on the Supreme Court. You know, it's really it was really intended to be a check on, in essence, both the legislature and the executive branch. If they decide to get out of control, the judiciary was intended to come in and say that you've effectively overreached your constitutional authority, like the Supreme Court does. You know, the Supreme Court many times weighs on the constitutionality of certain things and says that this law is constitutional or this 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 thing over here is unconstitutional, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So laws may be passed by the legislature, but the judiciary ends up kind of finagling whether or not these things are actually legal or illegal, because it is possible, strange as this may sound to some people, it is possible for the legislature to pass a law or to pass a bill into law that is illegal. Some people, you'd be surprised how many people in the United States don't get that, that it is possible to have a law on the books that is illegal. For example, if the, if, if the legislature passed a law tomorrow that said no American can stand in their front yard and give a political speech, that's illegal as crap. Because and, and the, I wouldn't put it past the Congress to do something like that someday. I'm dead serious about that. It's illegal as crap because the First Amendment of the United States says we have the right to free speech, we have the right to petition, we have the right to assemble, and so on and so forth. So to pass a law that says you cannot give a political speech in your front yard is illegal as all get out. But again, the Congress could do something like that. The, somebody files a lawsuit that says this is illegal. You're violating my rights. The Supreme Court comes in and says, hopefully, yes, that is illegal. The legislature cannot do that. This law is effectively overturned. You cannot you cannot legislate speech that way. You can't do that. That's the purpose of the legislature, or excuse me, the judiciary. And that's pretty much all it does. It doesn't pass law, at least it's not supposed to. Again, there we get into some fuzzy ground. The judiciary, every once in a while, likes to invent law out of whole cloth. In other words, they just they just make stuff up. That has happened before. It's very controversial, and depending on whether you approve of what they did or disapprove of what they did will determine whether or not you say that it's okay or not okay, which is sad. But, you know, the judiciary has done this in, in a number of respects. I'm not, I don't know if I really want to get into examples on that because that could get into partisan territory. I got to try to walk a fine line with that. But needless to say, you know, the con I'll, I'll put it to you like this. The Constitution is very explicit. The Constitution of the United States, that is. The federal Constitution. It's very explicit. It's very specifically worded. Something is either in that Constitution or it's not. And when the Supreme Court 
says that there is something in that Constitution that you can't find anywhere in the text. That is the judiciary literally inventing law. I will give you an example of that one because I've talked about it before. And since we've already, you know, crossed the Rubicon, I'll go ahead and I'll go ahead and talk about it again. Separation of church and state. It's not in the First Amendment to the Constitution, and it's not anywhere else in the Constitution for that matter. It doesn't exist. But the courts, in many and many times, have literally invented law that doesn't exist and said that there is separation of church and state. Now, you can read the First Amendment all day long, you can study it until you're blue in the face, and you could use a hu the Hubble Space Telescope to microscope your way into that thing and look for any text that says separation of church and state, and you will not find it. It's simply not there. It was invented out of whole cloth. That's not the that's not the court's job. When the court does something like that, they are technically violating the law, the Constitution of the United States. They are operating in an extra-constitutional fashion, as I would describe, and it's borderline criminal behavior. Oh my gosh, Roman, how dare you accuse the court of being criminal? Well, you know what? If the shoe fits, so be it. You can't just invent law as a court. The, the court has no constitutional jurisdiction to do that. Thus, when it does do that, it's violating the Constitution. Thus, it's violating the law. Thus, it is criminal. I know nobody wants to say this out loud because it might upset somebody's delicate sensibilities, but that's just the truth, the whole truth, and nothing but the truth. Go ahead and try to argue with that. Tell me I'm an idiot. Tell me I don't know what I'm talking about. Tell me that, oh, yeah, in the Constitution, it says the judiciary can invent law. And in the Constitution, it says there is separation of church and state. No, it doesn't. Find it. Show me the text. Good luck with that. It's not there. I encourage you to look. I encourage you to spend the rest of your life looking for that. Waste your time. And no, I'm not talking to everybody on this. I know most of you folks get this. I'm preaching to the choir. I'm just trying to make a point because there's going to be there's going to be some, you know, somebody who cruises into the podcast and gets really upset with me because I accuse the judiciary of being criminal in some respects. Not entirely. You know, probably 80, 90 percent of the time they're fine. They're not behaving criminally. But every once in a while, they do something to violate the Constitution of the United States. And it bugs the crap out of me because how hard is it really to follow that document? It's not hard at all. It's pretty doggone easy. Especially in the broad strokes, something like separation of church and state, it's just not there. Now, it does say that Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of a religion or prohibiting the free exercise thereof. I'm paraphrasing slightly because I don't have it in front of me, but I just have it memorized. I believe those are the exact words of the text. Correct me if I'm wrong. But now, what does it mean when it says the Congress shall make no law respecting the establishment of religion? That doesn't mean separation of church and state. It just means that Congress literally cannot pass a law establishing a religion, and we know what the historical precedent of that is. It's the Church of England, which was designed to invade people's lives, invade their religion, to violate their sacred ancient rights to free exercise of religion by creating a state-run religion and forcing people at knife point or at the barrel of a gun to adhere to that religion or be killed. That's what that means. It doesn't mean separation of church and state, and I have I, I will demonstrate in podcast episodes to come that people the people amongst the founding fathers, especially people like John Adams, did exactly the opposite of that. They did not believe at all in separation of church and state. They brought their religion into the state with them and and carried it around everywhere they went as vice president, as president, etc. And even before that, I've talked about that. John Adams. And his assistance in drafting a, a constitution for the Commonwealth of Massachusetts, he put his religion all over the place in that document. I will read it to you. 
on this podcast. I'm getting, uh, we're not too far away from that episode. I'm probably going to front load that episode too. And, um, just, just because, and because I've mentioned it a few times and I'm sure there's some folks out there that are curious about it. If you want to see me do that podcast really early, just leave a review on the podcast and say, Hey, could you do that episode on John Adams, Constitution, Commonwealth of Massachusetts? I'll, I'll do it as quick as I can. It's not hard to do. I have a copy of it literally sitting on my desk. It's right next to me. But again, the judiciary was not, is not supposed to be making law. All that it is supposed to be doing is just provi- acting as a check upon the legislature and the executive. If the legislature passes a law and the executive signs it into law and it's illegal, the Supreme Court is supposed to say so, or the courts generally. Okay, but that's it. That's effectively their function. That's not much. That's pretty narrow, isn't it? Exactly. As long as they're operating within the bounds of the Constitution, which is hard for them to do, apparently, the Supreme Court and the court system, generally speaking, the judiciary is very, very limited in what they can do. Very limited. Are you noticing a pattern here? Both the executive and the judiciary are very limited. All right, now we've gotten to the legislative branch of government. So what's the purpose of the legislative branch of government? Well, it's a lot of things, actually. I'll give it to you. I'm not going to go exactly into detail uh, on this one. Again, I'm not going to go blow by blow. I'm just going to give you the broad strokes because this is a short episode. I don't want to go long in this thing. We'll get back to this when I start talking about the Constitution again. We'll, do, we'll basically run through this whole thing again, but in much finer detail. The legislative branch, quite obviously, is supposed to pass law. That's their whole, that's their, most of their function, not entirely, but that's most of it right there. They're supposed to pass bills into law. Two branches of the, uh, the Congress, House, the Senate. Currently, the House has 435 members, the Senate has 100, and then you've got those crazy delegates that run around up there. I'm going to do an episode on the delegates at some point. Uh, I mentioned them once before. If, like I said, if you want an exercise in the criminally insane, just go to C-SPAN and listen to any one of those delegates talk for about 10 or 15 minutes. And maybe, maybe a little bit longer than that, but I, I did a whole... By the way, this is fun to do. I did a whole project one time, because I was, I was curious. This was years ago, where I literally watched almost nothing but C-SPAN for the better part of two months. Just so I could get a feel for what in the heck is going on up there in that institution. And believe me when I tell you this, almost nothing good is going on up there in that institution. And so if you want to, if you want a fun project, just watch C-SPAN for about two months straight every day. Now that's hard to do. Um, I realize some people got time commitments and whatnot, but I, I didn't watch it for hours every day. I didn't watch all of the content every day, but when I got off work at the end of the day, I came back to, I came back to my apartment. I turned on C-SPAN and I would watch it. From the from the day, you know, I'd start at the when the gavel went up, you know, in the morning, and I'd watch as much of it as I could throughout the day uh, while I ate dinner and did other things all the way up until the time I went to sleep, and then I'd do it again the next day, and then the next day, and on the weekends, that's what I was doing. I was watching C-SPAN, and I can tell you based on experience that those people are bonkers up there. That's why I refer to them as sometimes as you know, five hundred and thirty-five uh, blithering idiots. And why I refer to them as being generally corrupt and all these other things. I don't, I don't say these things because I don't know what I'm talking about. I say them because, frankly speaking, I do know what I'm talking about. But anyway, you know, their job is to pass bills into law. And that is a very important function. And it's a very powerful function too, by the way. And they have the, they have the ability to levy taxes. That is, that is very, very important and very, you have to, that's a, that's a power that you have to use very sparingly. So they have the power to pass bills into law, the power to levy taxes, of course, is a big part of that. You know, spending bills typically originating in the House and all that stuff. So you, you get the idea here that there's, and, and, you know, when you're passing laws, they can pass any law that they want that's within the purview of the federal constitution. Now, again, we've gotten away from that, and Congress, frankly speaking, oftentimes passes laws that are, in my opinion, illegal. 
clearly illegal because they violate the Constitution of the United States. That's not too controversial to say because we all know that they've done it. I mean, how many times has the Supreme Court declared something that the legislature did unconstitutional? Several times over the, over the history of the United States. So we all know that it's happened. We all know that the Congress has done something illegal. Now, you may disagree with me as to the frequency of, the, of that. In other words, you may disagree that they do it a lot. And I'm not saying that they do it a lot. I'm just saying they do it on a fairly regular basis, especially now. Because, again, it, Congress gets frustrated. These people like to do things. And when people get frustrated, they tend to just say, to heck with it, let's just pass a law anyway. The Constitution says we can't, but let's just go ahead and do it anyway. I mean, you can understand the motivation. And sometimes it's altruistic. Sometimes there's good motivations behind it. They want to accomplish something that really is to the benefit of the country. But that doesn't make it okay. When Congress passes a law that's illegal, it's illegal. And you can't do that. But anyway... That's their function, again, to pass laws, Pre preferably laws that are not illegal, but yeah, you I guess you, you take what you can get, uh, and you, you vote, vote very carefully about—be very careful about who you put into office in there. But they also have other functions, too, besides that, and that's—like I said, that's a big one in and of itself. They also have this oversight of both the executive and the judicial branch, which is something that neither the executive or judicial branch have in this respect. That is to say, I mean, the judicial has, you know, a, it's a check on the—it's uh, a check on the— on the legislative, but there's something that the, that neither the judicial branch nor the executive branch can do that the legislative branch can do. Can anybody guess what that is as it, as it pertains to being a check on the other two branches? I'll give you a hint. It has something to do with impeachment. The legislative branch of government can remove from office effectively a president of the United States. Isn't that interesting? And they can also remove from office a sitting Supreme Court justice. Did you know that? They can. Now, the Supreme Court cannot remove a congressman or a senator just by way of impeachment. They can't do that. That's not the kind of oversight the judiciary has. Nor can the president of the United States just willy-nilly remove a senator or a House member from office. They can't do that. And thank goodness, otherwise they would, and we would have ourselves effectively a tyranny. This would be a dictatorship. But the legislative can surely do impeachment against a president or a Supreme Court justice. So you begin to see that the legislative branch is actually quite a bit more powerful than the executive or the judicial branch of government, right? Doesn't that, are you beginning to see that threaded together here? So are these branches of government co-equal branches of government? Absolutely not. The legislative is much more powerful than either of the other two. And that check that the executive branch of government, by the way, has on the legislative, that veto power, can be overridden. Congress can override a veto if they've got enough votes. Isn't that interesting? So even that check against the legislative that the executive branch has can be overcome. And the Congress can just pass something into law without the president say so. Isn't that interesting? If they've got enough votes. Now, why is that? Why did the Founding Fathers make the legislative branch of government so powerful? And the answer to that question should be clear. They are elected by the people. At least the House members were originally, not so much the—we're the, going to get into the Senate discussion at a later date, but they are much more closer to the people, especially the House, because that election happens every two years. Those people are almost in a constant state of election campaigning because their, their elections come up very regular, and they're very closely attached to the people because of it. So that thus they have more power. You, you're, are you noticing a trend here with the Founding Fathers? The closer a government body is to the people, the more power they have, which, is, which again is why the Constitution, the federal Constitution, is very, very limited. And the states are not as limited as the federal government is. The states have much more broad authority over their respective populations than the federal government has. Why? Because they're closer to the people.
because this government was supposed to be we the people of the United States of America in order to form a more perfect union. A country, a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. That's why anytime you hear the Founding Fathers in these documents refer to the people, you know who they're talking about and you know why. That's why, again, the Second Amendment to the United States Constitution is very unambiguous to people who understand this. When it says the right of the people to keep and bear arms shall not be infringed, it means exactly that. We, the people. It doesn't mean the National Guard. It doesn't mean the state militias. It doesn't mean the, the, the federal military. It doesn't mean any of that crap. It means we, the people. So this is a government of the people, by the people, and for the people. That's the way it's supposed to be. And the closer to the people the government is, the more power it has. The executive branch is not close to the people because it's not even elected by the people. The president is elected by the Electoral College, and that's a good thing. There's a reason for it. Some people want to abolish the Electoral College. I will tell you now that that is a stupid, stupid idea. And it's the, it's the kind of discussion that children have, uneducated little children. And Frank, or, or either that or people who just want a dictatorship in the United States. Those are the only two people who argue for the abolition of the Electoral College. Children and people who want a just a, a, a fiat dictatorship in the United States. Because anybody who even has a passing familiarity with why the Founding Fathers set the government up like that knows why I say exactly what I just said, and that it's absolutely true. The executive branch is supposed to be disconnected to a certain degree from the people. There's a reason for it. And that's also the same reason why the executive branch is so limited in power, or at least it's supposed to be. Again, if you want a free country... You have to keep the central power on a short leash because the central power all too often throughout history, and the Founding Fathers knew this, was a rabid dog that if let loose from that short leash will basically just eat the people, will eat them alive like any dictatorship does. You cannot allow the executive branch of the United States to get off that short leash for any length of time. Let, that's a warning from history. Not from me, but from the Founding Fathers. Otherwise, they wouldn't have put the leash there in the first place. Again, this isn't my message. This is the message of the Founding Fathers. I'm just rewording it and putting it in a modern context. That's all. And we've talked about why. I mean, the Founding Fathers talked about King George III, Philip of Macedon, Caesar, all of these people who are out of control. They got off the leash. And thus, a tyranny was imposed upon the people. The Founding Fathers were trying to do everything they could do to try to avoid that because they cared not just about themselves, but about you. They wanted you to be free. They didn't want you to live, live under the oppressive yoke of some dictatorship. That's why we have that glorious constitution that we have. It's a little bit flawed in some ways, yes, but I'll tell you what, it's a far cry better than anything else anybody ever conceived in the history of the world. I stand by that statement until the day I die, or until some other country comes up with something better, and I hope they do. I hope some country does actually do better than the United States at some point. That would be that would be marvelous. I just don't think it's going to happen, uh, because people are, again, lust too much after tyranny. The lust for tyranny runs deep in the world, and it's a miracle that we even managed to get that constitution in the United States. It's just a miracle. And thank goodness we have a government today constituted of the people, by the people, and for the people. I mean, that Congress may be corrupt six ways to Sunday, but at the very least, it's elected by the people. Now, do the people need to pay very close attention to who they put in office up there? Yeah. Do they need to fix a lot of the problems that are up there? Yeah. But at least we got a Congress that's elected. At least we have a judiciary that most of the time adheres to the Constitution of the United States. They do a pretty good job most of the time. Like I said, every once in a while, they get off of their short leash, too. Separation of church and state. 
Separation of church and state. Separation of church and state. Again, where is that in the Constitution? I don't know. I've looked. I can't find it. And I'm not saying that as some kind of a religious zealot. I'm just using it as a prime example of something that's clearly not in the Constitution that was just invented out of whole cloth and runs contrary to everything that the Founding Fathers ever said, except for that letter from Thomas Jefferson. You know, but well, I'll tell you what, while Thomas Jefferson was in office, he sure did bring his religion with him, didn't he? Uh, just listen to that. Just read that guy's writings, for gosh sakes. I've got a letter from Thomas Jefferson I'm going to read on that whole on the podcast episode that I do on separation of church and state that'll blow your mind. And it basically screams the exact opposite of everything that people, not, ev- not everything, but some of what some people say about Thomas Jefferson. Let's just put it that way. About him being not religious, not Christian. Uh, People say some really weird things about Thomas Jefferson. Clearly, they have not read the same letters that I've read. But anyway, that's I did this episode really just, again, to shine a light on what the Founding Fathers intended to do versus what is actually being done. Yes, we've gotten away from what the Founding Fathers have done. Now, still in large measure, the Constitution of the United States is being adhered to most of the time. And that's good news. That's something to be proud of as Americans, I think, that our Constitution is still largely intact. Yes, the the three branches of government every once in a while do something that I would describe as illegal or criminal. But I don't but it's not all the time. It's not even most of the time. So I would say if we can just fix a few of these problems, I'd say this country is in pretty good shape as far as the way the government conducts itself. But there are problems, and I think that they probably do need to be fixed. But that that was always going to happen. The problem is, is the American people have decided to neglect their duties. I mean, the, the the final check on the three branches of government is the people. The Founding Fathers expected us to do our job. We were supposed to be informed. We were supposed to be students of history. We were supposed to understand what the Founding Fathers intended for us, intended for this government more specifically. And we've gotten away from that because as a society, we don't study history anymore. We don't study our politics anymore. We don't study the Founding Fathers, but good news, that's what this podcast is here to fix. So if anybody is interested in learning about the Founding Fathers, what they intended to do, the letters that they wrote, here we are, all of us together on this study group. And if you know anybody else who might benefit from this material, share the podcast with them. Send them a link to the podcast or just talk to them about it. If you don't want to share a link to the podcast or if you know they don't listen to podcasts, just talk to them about it. That's fine. I'm happy with that. And the Founding Fathers would be happy with that, too. They, the Founding Fathers, frankly speaking, don't care how you do it, whether it's having, having a friend listen to this podcast or just sharing the information with a friend on your own. It's perfectly fine either way. But I hope that this was uh, somewhat informative. I hope that this, you know, got your the wheels in your head spinning as far as thinking about these things. I hope it got some people angry out there at me. And I mean that I mean that seriously because, you know, through vigorous debate, oftentimes we get frustrated with somebody or, or we get agitated with somebody's perspective. And I imagine people will get somewhat agitated with my perspective on things and disagree with my statements about the judiciary or the executive branch or the legislature, this, that, and the other thing, at least as far as my opinions go. And like I said, the facts that I have represented here are irrefutable. The Constitution says what it says. The the executive branch is very limited. The judiciary is very limited. And the legislative is not nearly as limited as the other two. That's clear in the Constitution. That's a fact. You can't debate that. I mean, you could try to debate it if you wanted to, but you'd probably sound like an idiot. But uh, as far as whether or not an institution is has a bunch... The Congress, like I said, I say the Congress is corrupt. The institution is not. The people are. And, and again, that's an opinion. Somebody might disagree with that, and that's fine. So if that agitates you that I say that, that's fine. Leave a review on the podcast. Leave a scathing review on the podcast, actually. And tell me how wrong I am, how that, how the people in 
in that institution are pure as the driven snow. And that, that uh, I think the approval rating of Congress, by the way, I think it's like 10 or 12%, something like that last time I looked. You can explain to me why a, a, a body made up of a bunch of people that are pure as the driven snow have, a, have an approval rating of 10 or 12%. And that'll put me in my place, I say jokingly. But uh, until that happens, uh, we will march on on this podcast and we will continue to talk about the Founding Fathers, the Constitution, the Declaration, and more specifically, the letters that they wrote and the letters that were written to them, their correspondence and all the rest of it. And we're going to get back to that on the next episode of the podcast. But until then, this is Roman signing off. Thank you.